Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Pastor Jim's desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application to our daily lives. Pastor Jim makes no apologies today for what you're about to hear. If you're honest, then you can admit to becoming complacent in your faith at some point in your life. And that's what Pastor Jim is talking about. This is one of Satan's best weapons against all believers, no matter how mature. We all fall victim to this and must guard against it. And for you that think it won't happen to you, Pastor Jim says it already has. Well, let's join Pastor Jim in the book of Revelations chapter 3 as he continues his message. It's time to wake up. Number five, the consequences, the consequences. So we'll begin with the negative first and look at the second half of verse three. Therefore, if you will not watch or not wake up or if you're not alert, I will come to you as a thief and you will not know what hour I will come upon you or you will not know when I come to you or when I come against you. Now, this is the second time that Jesus tells them to be watchful or to wake up. What is he saying? Be aware of the spiritual complacency in your life. Now, the big question in this passage is how are they complacent? I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about it. And the big thing I, I know that these letters are written to churches because of the persecution that they were under, but there's no mention of persecution with this church. There's absolutely none and it probably because they had lacked, they were dead. They lacked being on fire for God. They lacked the power of the spirit and the power of the gospel in their lives. And all the people in the neighborhood said, we love those guys. We love those guys. They never say anything that rub us the wrong way. They're always just, you know, nice to us. You know, they take care of our kids if we, you know, if we ask them to. They give us stuff. We like them. They're fine. They're nice. They don't, you know, they do their thing in their church. We don't want any part of that. But, you know, whatever the thing is. But, but we, don't, we don't do anything with that. I hear from a lot of pastors that I know. And they're like, oh, we get along so good with the county, Right? I asked for one little favor from the county, right? I said, hey, we're doing a radio station. We'll be happy to put count, you know, town events on our radio station, advertise them for you. Can we just pay, right, going rate, whatever it is, to put an antenna on a county antenna right on this back hill right here? That's it. It's not a lot. They go, well, it's full. When you go out of here today, <laughs> right, you look at that tower, that's not full. You got to be up on a high hill, right? I showed it to an engineer. He goes, what do they think? They're Los Angeles? I mean, what is this? So then I wrote a letter and they called me back. This is what they said to me. If Al-Qaeda wanted to be on our station, should we put them? Oh, yeah. I said, did you just call me Al-Qaeda? I said, they said, yes. I said, well, to be honest with you, in the country that I live in, I don't know where you live, but in the country that I live in, if they went through the two-year vetting process with the FCC that I did, yes, they deserve to be on the air until they say something that's instituting violence. They should. They should. Another time, I'm talking to another politician, 
little favor needed. He needed a little favor from me, something for one of his family members. Not a problem. You got it. He goes, hey, anything you need one time, you come to me. Okay. So I called in my marker, right? And he's like, oh, I can't do that. I go, that's simple. He goes, yeah, but it'll make me look bad. I said, well, I did something for you. You said if I need anything, you could do it. And he goes, mm, sorry, sorry. He says, maybe try another time. I go, I ain't going to try another time. You're a liar. You're a liar. You know, it's the funniest thing. I talk to politicians in the area. You know what they say to me? That 107.9 thing. You know what they'll say to me? We know who you are. Right? We know who you are. Right? We know what you're about. I got pulled over on the bridge over here a couple weeks back. Right? Somebody called me, and I knew it was an emergency. I pulled my car over. A cop pulls me over. License and registration. I go, here. He goes, where are you coming from? I go, I'm coming from church. He goes, really? I go, yeah. <laughs> he says to me, which church? I go, Calvary Chapel. He goes, oh, yeah. Yeah, I know that church. I go, okay. I go, he goes, uh, you involved in the church? I said, yeah, I'm the founding pastor. He goes, oh, you're Pastor Jim. <laughs> I told my story to my wife. She goes, of course you didn't get a ticket. No, of course not, <laughs> right? But he goes, just, you know, I said, I, I, I had an emergency. I pulled over. I know it was a bad place to do that. But get along with the county, get along with the city. Well, I don't know, sometimes. Jesus says to these guys, I want you to live what you say you believe, or if you don't, when I come, it will be a day of judgment, not a day of joy. And typically, in the Bible, when it talks about the Lord returning, you see great joy. Certainly, no one wants a thief to come to them. Do you, any of you want a thief to come to your house? Some of you with guns probably do. But uh, do, you, do you want a thief to come to your house? Just curious, has anybody ever called you up and said, hello, I'm a thief, just wondering if you're going to be home this afternoon. We want to rob your house. Well, that doesn't happen. They don't tell you how and when they're going to come. And so Jesus says, you know, I'll show up. Now, you might say, Jesus coming against me or against our church, that's scary. I think that's the point. I think that's the point. I think Jesus is saying to these people, you must come back to me. And if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, do you realize that is Jesus' invitation to you to come to him? That he is saying to you before the end of your life, come to me. You say, oh, I got plenty of time. You never know. You never know. Complacency causes us to be more distant from Jesus. Also, there's less evidence of the grace of God in our lives. It's also true that if a follower of Jesus or a church doesn't think they are falling asleep, do you know what? There's a good chance they are already asleep. If you leave here today and you say, Lord, I just want to make sure I'm not falling asleep, I think Jesus would say to you, you understood what I was talking about. You got the message. If you fear falling asleep, if you feel becoming a dead church or a dead Christian, he's saying, you got the point of what I was saying. 
We call this nominalism. Maybe you've heard that of a nominal Christian, which is faith in words only. The danger is that it has the appearance of faith. 2 Timothy 3, 5, the Apostle Paul tells this to Timothy. Such people have a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Another version says, from such people, avoid them. Stay away from them. The other side of this is a church that is always looking for Jesus is alive. A church that is always excited about Jesus is alive. I'm not talking about entertainment church. I'm not talking about, oh, they got the best band. It's great. We just sit there and watch them and strobe lights and fog machines and, you know, dancing around and all this kind of stuff. It's such great entertainment. No. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. He's saying what they say, okay, what they say they believe is what they believe. Have you ever thought about why Jesus is writing to churches? This is the beginning of this book. Now, he's going to encourage them throughout this whole book that he is in control. Persecution, yes. But he's also writing to them in these chapters two and three, and this is going to be tough for some of us, but I think just stay with me on this. He is writing to them so they see that church is important. That is not an American value. You know, people used to go to, some of you who grew up in church, you used to go three times a week. Remember that? That's 12 times a month. Now, now you're considered, yeah, somebody just said five. Okay, very spiritual sister. Uh, right. And you know what? Now you're considered a regular church attender if you come twice a month. That's terrible. That's a big, big difference. So why is church important? Because in church, we hear the word of the Lord. The service before I got up here, Jackie got up here and read the word of God to us. And what did we all do? We all stood up. We all stood at attention because God was speaking to us. God was addressing his people. And then why are you all sitting down now? Because the schmuck's talking, that's why, <laughs> all right? Okay? But we stood up for that. So we hear the word of the Lord, and hopefully there's a conversation going on between you and God that is powerful, that God is speaking to you, that God is working in your life. We sing to the Lord, we are singing as a congregation. We're not watching a show. We are singing to the Lord. The old King James says that God inhabits the praises of his people. And God wants to hear our voices, no matter whether they're good or they're bad. He wants to hear his people. God, when there's entertainment, I think God's like, what are they doing? When God's people are singing, I think God's like, oh, I love that. I love that. We pray, but not just from the pulpit. There's nothing that makes a pastor more joyful when he sees God's people praying with one another. Maybe somebody tells you something that's going on in their life that's difficult, and you pray with them. People have walked up to me in this church and said, Pastor, can I pray for you? I never say no. I never say no, unless they're like, come on, you got to come up. It's time to preach the sermon. 
But you know what? We need to be praying for each other. Maybe you see somebody crying during a service. Maybe you know somebody's going through heartache in the service. Maybe somebody just, just you saw them in, during the service and God just laid on your heart and said, I don't know why, but can I just pray for you just for one 30 seconds? So you say, well, I don't know if I'm allowed to do that. Here's the thing. You ready? You ready? You are allowed to do that unless we tell you not to do that. And I can guarantee you there is not one person in this room that we have not told, you can, that we've told that you can't do that. Everybody can do that. We pray. We serve the Lord and one another together. We serve the Lord and one another together. I hate, we didn't used to have as much of a problem before COVID. I hate the fact that, that we have to ask for servants. Makes me sick, to be honest with you. That's why I have John do it. I'm delegating my dirty work, right? I can't stand it, right? Wednesday night, we're having all these visitors coming, right? If you're a regular servant, you can get here early and help us out. Even if you can walk in 15 minutes before service and help us out, go to the connection table after service. We used to assign people. We don't anymore. But I hate having to ask for servants. Why? Because I hate having to ask people to participate in the greatest honor that God could ever give you. That's what I hate. The psalmist said, better is one day in your house than thousands elsewhere. That's why I hate asking for servants. I do not ever have to get up and do what I do Sunday after Sunday. God lets me do this. And it is a privilege People say to me, do you get nervous before you get up to speak? And this is all I, all I can tell you before I speak. I go, I'm always in the back going, I can't believe I get to do this. I can't believe I get to do this. We serve the Lord. We give to the Lord. We give to the Lord. A lot of you get a paycheck or money comes to you. Do you realize who sent that to you? That came from God. We don't get to keep all of it. Well, look, he lets us keep any of it. We don't want to be stingy. Was God stingy with us giving us his son on the cross? People say to me, well, you pastor at the church. Do you give to the church that you pastor at? I said, you better believe I do. Why? Because I don't want to lack any blessing from God. And I don't ever want to seem ungrateful to him. So I tell people, you don't have money? Put $5 in there and go pick up $30 of groceries. Right? That's a good deal. Right? I'm a business guy. I would take that. Okay? If you want business advice, I would take that. So why is church important? Of all those things that I just said, why? Because Jesus becomes more real to us. When you are among God's people, living out the Christian life, Jesus becomes more real. Okay. Positive consequence, even though that was one. Verse 4. You have a few names even in Sardis. So there's a small group of people in Sardis, in the church, that still love Jesus, that haven't forgotten. You have a few names even in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. What does that mean? They have not been sucked in by the ungodliness of the culture. And they shall walk with me in white. And whenever you see white is the purity and victory given to us through Jesus and his cross, for they are worthy. They're not dead, not because of what they do, but they're true believers 
and they live like it, they're alive in Christ. Jesus says, there are some, not many, in the church at Sardis that are awake, that have not lost their way and that are walking with him. What they say they believe and how they live match up. Their confession and their conduct match up. Their profession and their practice match up. The rest of the church, he's saying, needs revival. They need to find Jesus again. They need to avoid distractions. Now, doesn't mean that a lot of the stuff they did was necessarily so bad, but what had happened? They forgot that you have to choose the best Jesus over the good. Jesus always has to be the most important thing in, in this church, the most important thing. And loved ones, I will tell you this, be very, very careful, especially you, those of you who are new in the faith. While critics abound, there are critics everywhere of the church. So many of them are 50-year-old internet trolls who live in their mother's basement, okay? But they're in church too. They're in church too. And critics abound, but those who consistently are walking with Jesus and serving the Lord are few. And when you see them, what did the Apostle Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And implied in that is, and when I don't, pay me no mind. And so there were people in this church like that. And here's the thing. It doesn't really take that many people to change the world, does it? I mean, look at what Jesus was working with. He didn't have great building materials to change the world with the apostles. A bunch of common guys. And they turned the world right side up. It doesn't take that many people to turn a community upside down. It really doesn't. Hear the word of the religious leaders. This is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse. Peter and John had been arrested. Fishermen talking with the super highly educated religious leaders. It said this, Acts 4.13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, some versions say common men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They didn't need diplomas on the wall. They didn't need credentials. They had real faith. And they had been with Jesus and spent so much time with Jesus, it was so obvious. And that is something that people can perceive. When I was 28 years old, a 17-year-old kid told me about Jesus. And you know what drove me up the wall? He had been with Jesus. He talked to me like he knew Jesus. And you know why he talked to me like he knew Jesus? Because he knew Jesus. And I did not. I did not. Verse 5 and 6, he who overcomes shall be clothed with white garments. Jesus clothes his bride in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He clothes his people in white garments. And I will not blot out or I will not erase or I will never erase his name from the book of life. That is a statement from the Old Testament. It changes a little bit in Revelation. We don't have time for that now. 
but there's no fear of judgment for a true follower of Jesus. But I will confess, some versions say, I will acknowledge his name before my father and before his angels. Picture a heavenly courtroom. Angels there. Next sinner, come on in. You go walking in. Jesus goes, up, oh, dad, he's with me. Okay, innocent. Next, right? That's the way it's going to be. Verse six, he who has an ear to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So these verses are about true, committed followers of Jesus Christ, and they are meant to encourage them in their faith and in their eternal security. Isaiah 49, 16. Please, if you're taking notes, write this down. I am going to try not to cry like I did in the last service. This is absolutely amazing. 700 years before Jesus dies, he says this, see, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Can you believe that? That your name, sorry, my name is written on his nail-pierced hand. That's the level of love. That's the level of love. Such people responded to Jesus Christ. That's all they did. They responded to him. Jesus was blotted out on the cross, or so they thought. He rose from the dead. He died on the cross in your place for your sins. And his followers' names are written in the book of life, and they persevere to the end. Now, people get all caught up in some of these illustrations. It's a very easy one for them. Do you know, in Greek culture, which carried over on into the Roman Empire, each city had what they call a book of citizens or citizenry. But what happened is if you received capital punishment, you know what they did? They blotted your name out of the book before they killed you. What did they say? You are no longer a citizen of this place. And Jesus says, I will make sure my people's name will never be blotted out. Luke 10, 20, Jesus sends out 70 disciples. They come back all excited about all the stuff they were doing. And Jesus says this, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. My dear friend, before you leave here today, I got to ask you this, whether you're watching online, another place in the building, listening on the radio, I don't care where you are, before you leave here today, before you stop whatever you're doing right now, is your name written in heaven? There's no reason for you to leave here today and not have it written in heaven. You can simply put your trust in Jesus Christ. Certainly, we would hope there would not be many churches like Sardis today, but there are many. Many would even say that they are most. So what does that mean for you if you are a committed follower of Jesus Christ? That you must even become a missionary among people who claim to be Christians. Because a lot of them are not. The call from Jesus is to his church and the world, and it's simple. Wake up. Spiritually dead people must be brought to life. We must all repent, turn to God, even as a church. We must always remember 
why we are the church of Jesus Christ. We must remember, if you are not a follower of Jesus, repenting, turning to God and putting your trust in Jesus will bring you spiritually to life. As Jesus writes your name on his hand that they drove a nail through so your sins could be forgiven. And you will continue to walk with him. You will continue to love him. And that will give you evidence of his grace that is operative in your life. If you are a follower of Jesus, repenting reminds you of who you are, a forgiven child of the king with a place reserved for you in heaven. Meeting someone at the front desk who says, your name? Oh yeah, yeah, we got a place for you here. Your name is written in blood. Somebody else wrote your name in here. May that bring joy to your life and remind you each and every day not to drift away, but to wake up and follow Jesus. Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Morris County, New Jersey. Changed by Love brings you the great hope of the gospel to equip you to reach others with this transforming message. In a world filled with fear and mistrust, Pastor Jim provides the path to freedom in a clear and transparent style. Changed by Love needs your help to reach thousands, including your friends and neighbors. Find out the ways you can team financially with Changed by Love by visiting our website at changedbyloveradio.org or call 862-217-9686. Pastor Jim would love to hear your story and how Changed by Love has impacted your life or someone you know. Your encouragement goes a long way. Thank you for spending time with Pastor Jim Kevney and Changed by Love.